If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Romans chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, all the verses, I think, are in your notes. They'll come up on the jumbotrons. And as always, if you're visiting and you don't own a Bible, maybe you're watching online right now or listening on the radio, you don't own a Bible, just come down to Big Valley Grace or go into the altar room, either here or over in the venue, and we'll give you a Bible. Uh, when you put your, your love gift in that little bag that went by a little bit ago, uh, quite a few shekels go to purchase Bibles. And we give out lots of Bibles. This is a church that believes in the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. We're about the gospel, the, you know, the whole gospel and nothing but the gospel here. And we want you to have the word of God in your hands. And so if you don't own a copy of the word, please go and pick one up. We're in a series here where we're going through the book of uh, Romans together. It was really a, a letter that Paul wrote to the, 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 the Christians who were gathered in Rome. There was a church in Rome. Many of those believers in Rome probably came to faith in Christ through the preaching of Paul. There they all are living in Rome. And uh, Paul had never been there, and so he writes this letter to them. In Romans chapter 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And in that very first verse, we looked at that a few weeks ago, that kind of lays the foundation for the book, at least in terms of who Paul was. He tells us that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and that, um, that word there in the Greek means he was a, a slave to Christ. He voluntarily gave his own life up and allowed Jesus to be his master. He, was a, he wanted them to know, I'm a servant of the Lord. He didn't say that he was a tent maker. He was. But he wanted them to know what was most important, and that is this. I am a servant of Christ. I'm a slave of the Lord. And then he says that he was called by God to be an apostle. And I shared with you a few weeks ago that the role of the apostle was very unique. Very unique. And he's telling this group of believers in Rome that not only am I a slave to the Lord, but God himself called me to be an apostle. And then he says that he was set apart for the gospel of God or the good news of God. I have had you all look at this box right here and imagine that this is the world. We live in this box Okay, we all live in this box. We can't get out of the box. Now, God lives outside the box. Eternity's outside the box, but we live in it. That's where we live. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the box, sin entered into the world, boy, it's a mess inside the box. It is a mess. It's been a mess since Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned against God. It brought sin into the box. And since the beginning of time, boy, the box is just filled with bad news. If you woke up today and you opened up your Modesto B and you read it, bad news. 
If you're like me, as I've told you, I, I have all of these newspapers that I get online, pay for them. New York Times, LA Times, Miami Herald, I get them all. I wanna know what's going on in the world, and let me just tell you something. They'll all communicate one thing. There's bad news in the box. Crummy things in the box. Whether you're in Modesto, New York, Baghdad, I don't care where you go, it's bad news in the box. And the bummer is, is that we can't get out of the box. It's where we live. But there's good news. That is God got into the box. All throughout the Old Testament, God promised he was going to send a Messiah into the box. All throughout the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a Savior. The box is filled with bad news. But there's good news coming. And you get to the New Testament, and there's that great passage. Today, in the town of David, that's in the box, a Savior has been born for you. Good news arrived in the box. Yes, the box is filled with sin, and we're going to talk a whole lot more about sin and unrighteousness and wickedness. Paul, beginning next week, is going to unpack just how messed up the world is at that moment in history and certainly today also. And Paul says that God set me loose in the box to tell people about the good news, specifically you, Gentiles. Most of you in here are Gentiles. He was commissioned by God to go into the box and reach us with this incredible message, this, this, this good news. And in our text today, uh, Paul gives us one of the greatest summations of the gospel or the, the good news ever written. And in my opinion, they're the theme verses of the entire book of Romans. Everything about this letter is condensed in these 53 words. I've challenged you to memorize these 53 words. Put them on a three by five card. Put them in your bathroom. Drive around with them in your car. Put them on your desk at work or whatever it might be. You, you nail these 53 words and you basically know the letter written to the church at, at Rome. But before we look at these 53 words, every week, you know, we've had these videos where we're just showing you people in our church who are not ashamed of the gospel or people who were ashamed of the gospel. And uh, today we get to see uh, a great moment in Pastor Gordon Rumble's life. Play the video. Next month's going to mark my 49th year that I've been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 37 of those years have been a pastor of that same gospel. I'd love to say that in those 49 years, I was always full of passion 
always willing to share and lift up the name of Jesus. But there's times that we failed and there was times I needed wake up calls. And I'd like to share one of those wake up call moments. About 30 years ago, I walked into my barber, Ron the Barber, just as I always would. I looked forward to our conversation with Ron. And, and even though I knew Ron was not saved, I always figured that he must have known or heard of the gospel of Christ. This wasn't really the place for me to talk about Jesus. You go into the restroom, it's filled with girly pictures. You go back into the shop and guys were telling the latest vulgar jokes that they had shared over the years. And I would just sit there. And I never wanted to butt in. I never wanted to stop them. I just wanted to be a buddy. And I would sit there and then Ron and I would start talking. We talked about farming. We talked about a lot of different things, but I don't ever remember in those first few years of talking about my savior, Jesus. One day, I remember he shut off his clippers, swung the chair around, looked me right in the eye, and he says, Gordon, I know you're a pastor, but you have never spoke about Jesus to me. And you have never invited me to your church. Can I ask you why? Well, you can imagine the silence that followed. I've been in a lot of countries. I've held rallies in prisons. I've led people to Christ at retreats, but when it comes to that one-on-one, -on -one, where was that overwhelming sense of undeserved grace that I wanted to share and my love for the Savior? I need courage. And I think there was just a fear there of man. And I know that the Bible says the fear of man, it always brings a snare. I did invite him, we shared Christ with him. He came to Christ a few years later. But I learned my lesson. I call it my Ron the Barber moment. And that has always propelled me to be more bold for the gospel. My name is Gordon Rumble, and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, You know, all of these videos we're showing have just been excellent. And I don't know about you, but I can think back on my life. I've had a few Ron the Barber moments where I knew I needed to say something, but for whatever reason, I just didn't. And the good news is that God still loves us. God still cares about us. We don't lose our salvation. But wow. I hope that motivates all of us. Maybe you got a Ron the Barber in your life and you just, for whatever reason, haven't opened your mouth and told them about Christ or invited them to church or, or whatever. Well, let's read those 53 words together. Romans chapter one, verse 16. Okay? The Bible says, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to Gentiles. For in it, 
In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As I said, these 53 words are without a doubt some of the greatest words ever written. And I want to again just encourage you to memorize these words. And what I want to do here this morning is I just want to make two comments um, about this gospel of God. Just two. And they're kind of related. And I'm going to hammer home a point. And when I'm all done here, I got the feeling that many of you are going to go, okay, I get it. I understand it. For some of you, it's just going to be a great... uh, Reminder of of some powerful truth. And for others, today will be the day that your life will change forever. I know that. Sure was for, for a lot of people last night. Number one, the gospel of God is so powerful. It is so powerful. It can change your eternal destiny. Look at verse 16. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why isn't he ashamed? For it is the power of God for salvation. And that word power that you see there is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the dynamite of God. When it goes off within the box, boom! When the gospel goes off, wow! Something powerful happens. When the power of God goes off in the box, the the gospel Literally, it can change where you will spend your eternity. It's the only thing that has that kind of power. There's a lot of things in the box that can change your life. Hey, you win the lottery tomorrow, that'll change your life. Just remember to tithe on it. Don't, don't ever forget that. You, uh, you know, you lose a spouse. That'll change your life. Get married. I saw a young couple get married last night. Change your life. Lose some weight. Change your life. Gain some weight. Change your life. A lot of things will change your life inside the box. Only one thing will transform your life. Only one thing will take you from one eternity, a Christless eternity, and blow you in to another eternity. Only one thing can do that. And that's the gospel. The the gospel carries with it the um, omnipotence of God. The power of God. Now I want you to think about the power of God for a moment. God is so powerful that he just thought and he created the heavens. 
I was looking at a picture of the uh, crab nebulae this past week. And I was going, man, God just fought. And there that was. And all those stars you see, the Bible says he's the one that put them all in place. And not only that, he tells us that he named them all. In other words, he's intimately acquainted with all the stars, all the planets, all the stuff. That's power. The great prophet Isaiah said, heaven is my throne. God said this through the great prophet Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth and they and everything in them are mine. That's how powerful God is. God had the power to create the earth and he has the power to keep it turning on its axis perfectly. That's just, that's power. The great prophet Jeremiah said, but the Lord made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. (laughs) This is crazy. God's so powerful that he created the angels. That's power. He's so powerful that when you were inside your mother's womb, he created you. Saw this great picture of a a baby in a womb. That's Steve Jobs, you know, he came up with the iPhone. That's pretty good. Nothing wrong with the iPhone. That's power. That right there is power. The Bible says in Psalms 139, you, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body, kidneys and spleens. Let's think about that. That's power. You knit me together when I was in my mother's womb. Psalm 62 says, God has spoken plainly, and I've heard it many times, power. Oh, God belongs to you. Beloved, God is all powerful. Now, 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 here's the bizarre thing. He chose to use his power in a loving way by sending you the good news. The good news that your sins could be forgiven through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. That your life could be radically changed forever. That you could go from spending your eternity in hell, a place for the, for the devil and the demons, and by his power, he could change where you would spend your eternity, that you would spend it in heaven with him forever. See, the gospel has the power to literally blow you from one eternal place, hell, to another, heaven. I heard uh, this story about a door-to-door vacuum salesman. (laughs) 
One day he showed up at this old farmhouse where this lady lived, and before she could say anything, he was in the door talking to her, and he had this well-rehearsed you know, sales pitch, and he was just into it. Ma'am, I want to tell you about this incredible vacuum cleaner. It's so powerful it might suck up your carpet if you're not careful. There isn't another vacuum cleaner like this vacuum cleaner anywhere. It can pick up anything, I guarantee it. Now this old gal tried to cut him off and stop him on a you know, couple of different occasions, but he just kept going, I'm going to show you, ma'am, just how powerful this vacuum is. And he started to dump you know, ash and dirt and water and garbage all over the floor. If this vacuum cleaner doesn't pick up all this stuff, I'll eat it with a spoon. That's how confident I am that this is the greatest, most powerful vacuum cleaner on the planet. Well... Finally, the old lady cut him off and said, well, young man, you better start eating because this old house ain't got no electricity. <laughs> Here, here's the deal. You see, before you sell the product, you better make sure you got the power to make it work. And the reason Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel was because he knew it had the power he knew what the power source was. He knew it wasn't his good works. He knew it wasn't doing good things. He knew that didn't have the power to move you from one eternity to the next. But he knew God had the power. God could do it. He wasn't ashamed. And by the way, Paul had experienced God's power in his own life. The gospel had changed his own life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we read these words. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy statement, Paul says, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came into the box with a power to save sinners. And then he, he makes a statement that I think, you know, some of us could argue about. Paul says, I, I was just the greatest, the worst of all the sinners. And I, I know some of you. Some of you would have given Paul a run for the money. Right, George? <laughs> I know I would have. I know I would have. I've experienced the gospel. I've experienced it. Boom, it went off in my life. That piece of dynamite, boom! It just, just changed everything. It just changed everything about my life. And that's what a stick of dynamite does. When it goes off, stuff happens. Can't help it. And when the gospel goes off in your life, you can't help it. 
You're just changed. Everything changes. But especially where you're going to spend your eternity. Romans chapter 5 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, we had no power, none, Christ died for the ungodly. We were ungodly. Because of sin, we, we were ungodly. Because of sin, we were all unholy. Because of sin, we were unrighteous. Because of sin, we were dead men walking. Because of sin, we were totally lost. Because of sin, we were trapped in the box. Just doomed. Just doomed. Because of sin, God could have chosen to simply wipe us off the planet. He has that kind of power. He doesn't need any of you. He doesn't need me. We don't somehow add something to his, his being. God isn't in heaven going, you know, man, when Barry gave his life to Christ, he didn't go, okay, whoo, I'm, I'm now complete. Barry Velthone's going to be in heaven with me, man. Without him, you know, I, 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 you know, my life wouldn't have been very good. He didn't need any of us. We add nothing to him. Not a thing. He created us in his image. And we blew him off. But God's a God of love. He's a God of love. And he's the only one that has the power to change what sin has done to all of us inside the box. He's it. He's the only, only, only thing we got. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world, or let's just say into the box, so that we might have eternal life through him. See, we were all heading for a particular eternity, and it didn't include Jesus. But God loved us, and so he sends his son, the Messiah, the Savior, into the world, into the box. And he has the power to change things. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Jeremiah, the great prophet, said, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? No. Can a leper take away its spots? No. And neither can you start doing good, for you've always done what is evil. Everybody in the box, because of Genesis chapter 3, does evil. Some are more evil than others. We're all unrighteous in the box, and you can't change it. It's impossible. You don't have the power to change anything. Only God can do that. Mankind is in desperate need of God's 
Daniel. And he loved us and he sent us God's power. He did it. He sent us Christ, the the Savior, the Messiah. This is why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. Now let me unpack salvation for you for just a moment, okay? Because it's multifaceted. As we walk through the book of Romans here, there are moments when we're gonna go a little deeper than others. Most people, when they think of salvation, especially if you're younger in the Lord, you think of heaven. And that's certainly a piece of it. But I want to take us a little bit deeper. I want you to understand some of the different facets of your salvation, okay? And there are basically three, and I want to talk about them, okay? The first one is this. The gospel of God deals with your past sin. It, It frees you from the penalty of sin. Mom, dad, your children uh, disobey you. When your kids disobey you, it comes with a penalty, doesn't it? There's some sort of punishment. A privilege is taken away. Um, They lose uh, the ability to go out you know, and play with their friends. Maybe they, they lose their cell phone, something like that. There's a punishment that comes with the transgression, if you will. Well, the Bible says that when we sinned, when Adam sinned, it brought sin into the world, and that brought with it a penalty. The Bible says in Romans chapter six, for the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. When Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, it brought with it a penalty, just like when your children blow it. it, There's a penalty, if you will. The penalty was we were now going to die physically. Adam and Eve eventually die. Anybody that's ever lived gets to a point where they're going to die. You someday will die physically. And the reason why you will die physically is because of sin. Sin brought with it a penalty, death. But it brought with it something far more um, weighty than just physical death. It brought with it spiritual death. We all died spiritually. We all come into the world not only heading for death physically, but we all have died spiritually. Uh, Sin breaks the relationship between us and God. In fact, sin is so powerful. Some of you are sitting out here, you're in the venue, maybe you're watching online. Sin is such a powerful thing, it brought such death to your life, you don't even believe in God anymore. That's how powerful it is. I know, for a long time, I didn't believe in God. That, that's how powerful sin is. But when you give your life to Christ, when the gospel goes off in your life, the first aspect of salvation is it deals with the sin piece. 
We call this justification. At the moment you receive Christ, God sees you just as if you'd never sinned. And so the penalty, death, apart from God, is wiped away. God now will see you just as if you'd never sinned. See? The power of God takes away the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God. Now here's how it works, okay? Because Jesus was righteous, he now lives in the heart of a believer. God sees the believer now as righteous. In other words, God sees the believer just as if they'd never sinned. And if God sees you as if you'd never sinned, then what, what happens? Do you punish your kids if they've not done anything wrong? No. So God sees us as if we'd never sinned. I now have the righteousness of Christ in my life. So why would God punish me? Why would I spend my eternity apart from him? There's no punishment. You see, sin brought the punishment of eternal separation from God. Now that I know Christ and he sees me as if I've never sinned, punishment's gone. Totally gone. You don't have to work to get rid of this punishment. You don't have to, you don't have to earn it. You don't get it from baptism. It simply comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, believing in him for your salvation. Let me put it this way to you. Me without Christ is bad news. Because when God looks down from heaven, he sees the sin in my life, which then carries with it the punishment. I'll spend my eternity apart from him forever. But if he looks down and he sees me with Christ, that's good news. Because Jesus was righteous. And now that I have Jesus in me, I now have his righteousness in me. And now God says, well, there's no punishment. You've been made righteous. Why would I punish somebody who's not done anything? When I receive Jesus into my life, God bestows upon me the righteousness of his son, and that by virtue makes me righteous. This is good news. And by the way, you see this all throughout the Bible. In Genesis chapter 15, it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he, that's God, credited to him as righteousness. It's simply believing in the Lord. That's it. And I want you to know, God will do it for you right now. Some of you have never received Christ. And because of that, the punishment is still upon your life. Still there. Now the second aspect of your salvation is this. Number two, the gospel of God deals with your present sin. God's power, when it goes off in your life, gives you the, the power to free you from sin now. Yes, the power you know, dealt with your past sin and the penalty, but we're still alive. I still gotta deal with sin now. 
In my old nature, my, my, my fleshly nature, I got sin, and now I have the power to overcome that sin. It deals with the present, if you will. We call this sanctification. Romans chapter eight says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. God wants us to become like Jesus. That's the sanctification process. And the third aspect of our salvation is this, is that the gospel of God deals with our future sin. In other words, God's gospel frees you from the very presence of sin. We call this glorification. There's coming a moment, you'll take your last breath, you'll be in heaven, and there'll be no more sin. You won't have to deal with it anymore. Done. So you have justification, you have sanctification, and you have glorification. Now here's the deal. Justification is, is putting God you know, putting the righteous, God putting the righteousness of his son into your life, which nullifies the penalty of your sin. Sanctification is God's power working in you to make you more and more like his son. And glorification is God bringing you into the very presence of Jesus after you die. Now, here's the deal. Here's why this is super important that you understand all three of these. And I'm gonna give you a great illustration here in, in a moment. Is that your enemy is gonna attack you He's going to attack you in all three of these areas. He, he wants you to doubt or think or feel that maybe you're really not saved. He wants you to doubt or think or feel that maybe, maybe God really doesn't have the, the power to you know, bring you into heaven or cleanse you of your sin. He wants you to doubt or, or, or think or feel that, you know, am I really, am I really saved? Now listen, in Ephesians chapter 6, the great apostle gave us some data here. Some great information, and you gotta follow this. I, I know this is going over some of your heads, and that's okay. But I want you to follow me along, along with me here in Ephesians chapter six. Paul says this. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We got an enemy. He's got schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle isn't against our spouse. It's not against our kids or our boss or our parents. It's not a flesh and blood battle, but it's against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, Paul's saying, the real battle that we face is, is demonic. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith to which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then he says this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray and all this. Helmet of salvation. Paul says, look, man, you wanna, you, you wanna take on the, the, the demons. You gotta have the helmet of salvation on. Paul is writing to Christians here. So when he says you gotta put on the helmet of salvation, he's not saying you better get saved. Hey man, when the day of evil comes, you, you better get saved at that moment and get the helmet of salvation on. He's not talking about getting saved. These people are already saved. What's he talking about? 
Put the helmet of salvation on. Here's the deal. I think he's talking about protecting your head or you know, uh, uh, protecting the, the, the truth about your salvation, all aspects of it. You see, Satan can't mess with your standing in heaven. That's been secured through the power of God, but he can mess with your mind to the point that you begin to doubt your salvation. So, so Paul says, Christian, put on the helmet of truth. Put on the helmet of salvation. Understand all the aspects of your salvation so that when the devil attacks, it won't have the impact that he desires. He wants you to understand justification, sanctification, and glorification. And I'm gonna do this. George, come on up here. I'm gonna do an illustration. George, get up here, okay? And, and uh, Bill, Bill Bosch, I want you to come up here too. You two guys, get up here, okay? I think I'm gonna make this really clear as to the difference of these two things right here. Okay? Now here's the deal. George, in my illustration, uh, you just wait here. I'm gonna typecast you. <laughs> you. You're gonna represent Jesus. Obviously, I couldn't, I couldn't make that George. So you're, you're gonna stand right there and you represent Jesus, okay? okay. Yeah. Now George, you're a dirty, rotten, unholy, ungodly, unrighteous sinner. Okay, I saw this illustration done a little bit differently by R.C. Sproul and it really spoke to me. This is where we all are, we're all unrighteous and there's the righteous God. And there's this chasm between us and by the way, the stage is only this big. You, you, you couldn't calculate the, the real chasm between a holy and righteous Jesus and an unrighteous, unrepentant sinner. You couldn't do it, but my stage is only this big. So imagine this chasm here. He's righteous, totally righteous, holy, godly, no sin in him. And we are but ungodly, unholy sinners. And here's the deal, in this state, there's no way that George is ever going to be in eternity with Jesus who's righteous, he can't. He's unrighteous. And there's nothing George could do. I became an Eagle Scout, so what? I went to church, so what? I, I gave money, so what? And he knew, powerless. He's powerless to do anything. In the box, that's how we all are. There's this chasm between us. But then God begins to do a work because it's all God. God begins to draw George to himself. God begins to open George's eyes to the truth of who he is, an unrighteous sinner, unholy, ungodly. He, he opens his eyes as to who Jesus was. He opens his eyes to this chasm that he'll spend his eternity apart from Christ forever because of his sin. And at that moment, I think we as believers have a choice to make, whether we're gonna humble ourselves and invite Jesus into our lives or whether we're gonna say, no, I'm digging in, I'm gonna to continue to be the CEO of my own life, I'm not letting anybody tell me what to do. But George, in our illustration, humbles himself and says, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you. 
I'm unrighteous and I'm unholy. And I know you are righteous and I need you. At that very moment, something interesting happens. At that very moment, these two are linked together. And now the father, when he looks down, he doesn't see the chasm anymore. He can't see the chasm because the righteousness of his son has now infiltrated George's life. And so God now looks down and he sees George as righteous. He sees George as if he had never sinned. We call this justification. George is now justified in the eyes of God because he now has the righteousness of his son in his life. But here's the problem. George still lives down here on planet Earth, okay? And George, you've got a lot of sin and junk in your life. Yeah, God sees you as righteous now, but the reality is he's struggling with sin and life down here like we all are. The sanctification piece is, is that God wants us to become more and more like his son. God wants, hey, go to Bible studies, you're memorizing the scriptures, you're, you're living out the scriptures, you're trusting in the power of God, and, and you know, you're, 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 you're doing the things that God wants you to do. You're living out the truth. And God gives you the power to do it. You don't have to give in to the old sin and junk. And so, you know, there comes a moment when God, uh, uh, George becomes more and more like Christ. Now, I just want you to know something. Here's where the illustration goes bad because you can get the idea that somehow you're going to get him. You'll never get there. The chasm between you and Jesus, well, it is, it's, you couldn't calculate it, Christian. I don't care how godly you are. Nobody ever gets here down here. Nobody. He is so holy and so righteous. But God obviously wants us to be transformed into Jesus's image. Now, that's the sanctification process. Justification's already happened. God sees him as if he'd never sinned, but he's still down here on planet Earth. Oh, a tragedy happened. You know, George lived a good life and uh, he takes his last breath. At that moment, glorification happens and he will spend his eternity apart from all the sin that he has to deal with now. It's done, all, all done. So justification, boom! God sees him as if he'd never sinned. Now you got the sanctification process. George, George is making some steps, and then we all know George. He takes a couple steps this way, and then he, makes, and then he takes more steps this way. This is one of the craziest Christians you'll ever meet. But then there's gonna come a moment when he takes his last breath and glorification happens. He crosses the, 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 the finish line. Hey, give it up for our, our, our two actors up here. We do that. Those are the three aspects of our salvation. It deals with our past, the penalty that comes with it. God sees us as if we'd not sinned. It deals with the present. God wants us to be sanctified, set apart, become like his son. And it deals with the future. Someday we're gonna spend our eternity in heaven forever. Now here's the last point, and I'm gonna do this super quick, all right? 
The power of the gospel of God is only released when you believe it. In other words, okay, so this is all good and well. How does it happen? Well, Paul tells us, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Got to believe it. Just because Jesus came to planet Earth, just because he lived a sinless life, just because he died on a cross, just because he rose from the grave, just because he offers you eternal life, just because he has the power to change your eternal destiny, as one theologian said, doesn't mean a hill of beans unless you believe it, unless you trust in it, unless you rely on it, unless you have faith in it. Salvation is more than just simply I profess to be a believer. There's a lot of people running around professing to be believers. It's not about baptism. It's not about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not about going to church. It's not about taking communion. It's not about being a good person. It's not about living a a life of sacrifice. Salvation is believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and committing your life to him. It's trusting in the finished work of Jesus. That's what it does. That's it. Jesus himself said for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. The Savior didn't come into the box to condemn anybody. We were already condemned. Our sin had already brought the penalty. We were going to die. Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody. We were condemned. He came to make it right. He came to impart his righteousness into your life. That the Father would see his righteousness in you. And it would nullify the penalty. That you would have the power of Christ in you, sanctifying you, that you would become more like his son. And ultimately, someday, you're going to be in heaven. And it's all because of Christ. John chapter three, Jesus went on and said, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. Look, Genesis three messed everything up. Sin's in the world, sin's in the box. It's on us. The wrath of God is on us. And that's why God sent his son to take away the wrath that was on us. And by the way, I don't see anything about Big Valley Grace in in that verse. Whoever attends Big Valley Grace, you know, I don't see anything about going on mission trips. I don't see anything about the Catholic church there. I don't see anything about Mary there. I don't see anything about anything other than Jesus. It's Jesus, 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 he came into the box. He's the good news. He was righteous. And at the moment I gave my life to Christ, God saw me as righteous. That's why all the songs are about Jesus. That's why we're teaching our kids about Jesus. That's why coming to church is so important that we would say, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. It's why we give and serve and do everything we do. It's all because of him, because without him, the wrath of God is still upon us. The penalty of sin is still upon us. You see? 
John chapter 6, they asked him, a bunch of religious folks asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God required? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, go on a missions trip. Do a bunch of good things. Attend church. Be baptized. Take communion. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Those things are all a part of the sanctification process. But the work of God is to simply put your trust in the one in whom he has sent. And that was Jesus. I love what Warren Worsby said. He said, God doesn't ask you to behave. He asks you to believe. And then once you believe, he'll give you the power to behave. He'll give you the power to live the holy life, the sanctified life. But God doesn't say, hey, listen, you, you want the righteousness of my son? You want to know you're going to heaven? Then you better behave. You can't behave good enough. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's a, this salvation is available to everybody. Well, here's the deal. Everybody close their eyes for just a moment here. And as I wrap this up, here's the deal. While your eyes are closed, I just got to believe that there's somebody in this room, maybe there's somebody over in the, the venue, maybe you're watching online or whatever, and you're going, you know what? I don't know Christ. I don't know him. I've never surrendered my life over to him. I don't have his righteousness in me. The power of salvation is not in me. But I get it, and I need him, and I want, to, I want him in my life. Here's the deal. If you really sense something going on in your being, the Holy Spirit is working in your life and this is a genuine moment. If you really get it, you'll make your way into what we call our altar room. And there's one over in the venue too. And you'll go in and say, hey, I need Christ. I need him. I need the power of salvation. Now here's the deal. It, it, you know, more important for you to get out the door and get to lunch or whatever, then you know what, you don't get it. You got a goosebump in here. But I believe God's drawing some of you right now. And inside of our altar room, some of our pastors, some of our elders, our spiritual leaders will be in there and you just walk in and say, I, I, I wanna know the Lord and we'd love to pray with you. You walk out of here today like 20 people did last night going, man, I have Christ's righteousness. I am righteous because of Christ. I have the power of God in me now to become like Christ and I know because of God's power in my life, he'll take me to heaven with, to be with him forever. You go in there and let us pray with you. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time here today. Man, I, I enjoyed the music today. I enjoyed last night. I, I, I just enjoy being with your people, God. Lord, may we wrestle around with our salvation. As Christians, may we dig a little deeper and understand these three aspects of it. And may it draw us into a greater time of worship for you 
May, may it draw us into being into a greater life of sacrifice for you, knowing it's all you. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness, and I pray this in your name and all the God's people said. Amen. Hey, Lord bless you.